If you're in any kind of leadership in the church, we often talk about programs or ways that we can get people to the church. But you know what? Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. As we look at David's kingdom, we'll learn a little bit more about God's faithfulness in building his kingdom and how we can get on board with that. That's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. I think Ishbosheth is a good example of a man who was counting on the wrong things. This strong general who had propped him up as a really a puppet king. He was worried. In fact, he lost courage, verse 1, and it says, And all Israel was disturbed. All Israel was troubled. When the Magi came to King Herod to seek out where the king of the Jews had been born, they asked the question in Matthew 2, where is he who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We've come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. It's a similar scene. And you say, well, why was, all, why was the city troubled when Herod was troubled? Because the city knew that when Herod had trouble, people were going to die. This is what he did. He would take out his wrath on other people. He would kill wives and children and you name it. And we know the dark side of Christmas in Matthew 2 in the latter half of that chapter is that he killed all the babies in Bethlehem two years age and under. And Jesus got away because there was a warning given to the family. But Herod spilled a bunch of blood and that was his intent. He, he wanted nobody to threaten his throne. And Ishbosheth is here and He's hearing now his great general has died, and he doesn't know probably at this point all the circumstances. Maybe he thought that this was something that David did. We know that David didn't want this to happen, but it did. And now, as the scene shifts from Hebron, about 60 miles northeast, to Mahanaim across the Jordan River, there is Ishbosheth, and he is reeling. He is literally, you could render this lost heart, his courage failed, ESV. Literally, his hands became slack. He lost his grip. And we ask the question, why did he lose courage at this point? Why did he lose heart? Because he was placing his faith in the wrong place. Misplaced faith gets you in trouble. Because if you place your faith in the wrong thing, you're going to end up being what? Disappointed at some point. So he was counting on Abner to be the answer, to be his strength. What causes you to lose courage? What causes you to lose heart? May I suggest misplaced faith? We say we believe in God, but then really, when a couple of things go wrong, all of a sudden we're reeling. And look, I'm saying this of myself as well. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The real power behind Ishbosheth was Abner, but the real power behind David was God. If you look at your life, if you peeled everything back right now and asked some questions about what you do day in and day out, what your true power source is, what would you say? 
See, one of the things that God's trying to teach us is to rely on his power, to know his, even the power of his resurrection in our lives. And he's got to strip away a lot of things for that to happen. Look at Deuteronomy 31. This is Moses. Uh, if you want to turn there, you, if, you, if you don't want to go there, just listen to it. Deuteronomy 31. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So Moses is coming to the end of his life. And uh, he's going to pass the baton to Joshua. And here's what he says. And I want you to note how Moses points the people away from him to the Lord. Deuteronomy 31, verse 1. So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I don't know if it was Moses' birthday or not, but he said, man, I'm a, I'm a buck 20 today, man. <laughs> hey, 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 that's a lot of candles to put on a cake, by the way. I am no longer able to come and go. And those of us who are getting older, you might want to mark that. I take that quite literally. <laughs> no longer able to come and go. There's a, a good buddy here this morning. His name is Tim's beautiful wife, Heidi. Raise up your hand. There you guys are. So we met, I think it was in the late 80s. And we played a lot of slow pitch together. And we looked at each other. Tim came and visited today. And uh, Tim and Heidi did. And we were looking at each other. Softball came up. And we both looked at each other and said, nope. <laughs> you playing anymore? Nope. You playing anymore? Nope. Not able to come and go as I used to. Tim, by the way, I am playing golf now. More golf. Which is totally humbling. And I'm not sure that's the answer either. <laughs> but anyway. He says, the Lord has said to me, you're not going to cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. Notice how he points them to God. He will destroy these nations before you and you shall dispossess them. Jo Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them just as he had done to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will deliver them up before you. You shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Verse six, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. You shall give it to them as an inheritance. And the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. If you go to the right a little bit, go to the next book. It's the book of Joshua. Moses has died and God is going to charge Joshua to be strong. Joshua chapter one, verse five. Moses is dead and God says to Joshua, no man will be able, one five, to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, verse 7. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will, be, you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. 
For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 4. We did a memorial service for Priscilla Del Campo um, just recently. And one of the things that her children said about her was that she was a woman of prayer and a woman of the word. So there were about four or five different scriptures that I was thinking about sharing at her memorial service. And as I heard the family talking about her sitting here in the front row, what came to me is Psalm chapter one. As a staff, we had just done a devotion in that chapter. And it talks about a man or a woman who will meditate on the, the law of the Lord. How often? Day and night will be like what? A tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. And whatever it does, it will prosper. It, its leaves will not wither. It's what we all want. We want success, but I'm not sure success is how we define it in the Christian world. We often define success by numbers or buildings or, you know, things, bullet points on a sheet of paper, but God does not assess things that way. God defines success as a man or a woman who's after his own heart. A man or a woman who's learned that it's about God's glory and not their own. We can't imagine in much of the modern church that we could define success any other way. But if you teach a small Bible study, if you teach a Sunday school class, and you're being faithful to that, if you're leading your family well, if you're being faithful to teach your kids in the ways of Jesus Christ, if you're being faithful to what God's given you, that's success. In heaven's eyes, that's success. So that's what's going on here as the kingdom is being torn away from the son of Saul, Ishbosheth. Now back in 2 Samuel 4, this is verse 2. Saul's son had two men who were commanders of raiding bands. The name of the one was, 2 Samuel 4, 2, Banana. I'm just kidding, it, it's not banana. Although it's going to show in a little while that he's a bit bananas, but... His name was Bana. The name of the other was Rechab. They were sons of Ramon the Barathite. This guy apparently had a drinking problem. You might want to just mark that. He's a, he's a beerathite. Yeah, I know. And of the sons of Benjamin, for Beroth is also considered part of Benjamin. Now, some of you may be looking at your Bibles. You see verse 3, it says the Barathites fled to Gittaim, and have been aliens there until this day. And you might be thinking, well, in this story, why these kind of minor guys in the army, why are they brought up? Why, is, why are these two guys brought up? Because they are, end of verse 2, of the sons of what? Benjamin. And Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was the son of Kish. And so here's what's going on in the story Abner's dead, Ishbosheth is in trouble. He's reeling, and the question's being asked, is there anybody who can come around this fledgling king? Is there anybody who can be his strength? Who's, who's going to be his cabinet now? Who's going who's to prop up this kingdom in the north now? And a story's told about these two guys. They're from the right tribe. They're, tri they're from the tribe of Benjamin. Ramon and his sons, though they lived in Berath, did not belong to the earlier inhabitants of the town, but to the tribe of Benjamin, the connection is the future of frightened Ishbosheth. It depended on the likes of these two men. This writer says, before we get back to them, there's one other. 
Hey folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth. And one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I'm going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can refer friends to it and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and check out the devotion today. God bless you. Why are these two guys brought up? Because they are, end of verse two, of the sons of what? Benjamin. And Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was the son of Kish. And so here's what's going on in the story. Abner's dead. Ishbosheth is in trouble. He's reeling. And the question's being asked, is there anybody who can come around this fledgling king? Is there anybody who can be his strength? Who's, who's going to be his cabinet now? Who's going who's to prop up this kingdom in the north now? And a story's told about these two guys. They're from the right tribe. They're, tri- they're from the tribe of Benjamin. Ramon and his sons, though they lived in Berath, did not belong to the earlier inhabitants of the town, but to the tribe of Benjamin. The connection is the future of frightened Ishbosheth. It depended on the likes of these two men. This writer says, before we get back to them, there is one other that we need to look at. There was one other that could potentially ascend to the throne. He's mentioned in verse four. Now, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell, the boy fell, and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now we're going to hear more about this young man, but here's what happened. When Saul and Jonathan were on the battlefield and the Philistines were getting the best of them and they were on the verge of dying and then they died, Word came to the house of Saul that father and son were dead, that Saul's sons had fell on the battlefield. And the nurse who was taking care of this five-year-old boy named Mephibosheth went running away because the address of Saul was known to other people. And they probably thought there's going to be a coup now or the Philistines are going to raid the headquarters of Saul. So the nurse took Mephibosheth, this little boy, and began running and they were trying to get out of town and either she dropped him or he fell and he became crippled in both of his legs. And this story, which will come up later in 2 Samuel, is a beautiful story. Because by all rights, David should have wanted to eliminate the, eliminated this boy because this boy, seven years later, this story is kind of told from the, a past experience. Seven years later, he's now 12. He's on the verge of what the Jews call a bar mitzvah. At 13, you become the son of the law. You become accountable for yourself in, in Jewish thinking. He's 12 now. He's mentioned here because he could be a threat to David's throne, but is he truly a threat? No. In fact, Ishbosheth shouldn't have been propped up in the north to begin with. The nation wouldn't have gone through a civil war had they just allied themselves under the true anointed king named David. How many problems could be avoided if marriages, families, Nations would just align themselves under the kingship of Jesus Christ. 
Amen? We could avoid a lot of problems personally and corporately if Jesus is truly Lord. But the nation was divided. And in their heart of hearts, I think even the rulers of the 11 tribes in the north knew that David should be the king. Why did they go with the flow? Because that's what we do sometimes. We go with the flow. We know that things should be a certain way, but we give in. We compromise. We say, ah, it's too much work to battle this one. And that's not what we should be doing. Now, we'll come back to this boy's story. It'll be told in chapter 9 and other places, but this is, uh, we're about to move into some mature content. Just a heads up if there's any young ones in here, parents. So the sons of Ramon, the Barathite, Rechab, and Banah, verse 5, departed and came to the house of Ishbosheth in the heat of the day while he was taking his midday rest, verse 5. Now, these two characters that are introduced in verse 3, they have family ties to Saul's household, show up at the house where Ishbosheth is taking a midday rest. Now, I mark that in my Bible because I want to be able to make an emphatic case that a midday rest is biblical. Can I get a witness? All right. So if anybody's ever bothering you because you're taking a nap during the day. Now, this does not count in church. There are no naps in church. All right. For years, I've been dreaming of a system where I could know your seat number and just give you a little zap from the pulpit if I see. <laughs> right. So we're working on that system right now. A midday rest. What a glorious thing. When you're a kid, you don't want to sleep. When you get older, you want to sleep, right? It's one of the great inventions of all time, a midday rest. Now, I hear some people say, 15-minute power nap. That's all you need. 15 minutes, bro. No, 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 no. Look, if you're going to take one, minimum is an hour. Don't you think? Anyway, however, I will tell you this. Where, where we are moving right now in this story, the recommendation to Ishbosheth should have been take the nap with one eye open because this is going to get ugly. They came to the middle of the house as if to get wheat. Now, showing up at the house and being connected in some way as family to Ishbosheth wouldn't have been a big deal to the servants and the guards. So obviously they let him in. They said, hey, we're. We came here to get some wheat thins. Uh, that's why we're, we're here at the... Oh, they didn't have those back in the day. But they wanted to get some wheat. And they struck him in the belly. And Rechab and Banah, his brother, escaped. We're going to get more detail, but he's taking a midday nap. They go in under the pretense of, hey, we need some wheat. And they went into his bedroom. And they killed him. And you're like, what? What's going on? Family members turning on family members for the sake of power and position? Ah, oh, unheard of. <laughs> yeah, right. And so they go in while this guy's sleeping and they murdered him in cold blood. This is the honesty of Scripture, right? We, we read some of these stories and we're like, man, what, what's going on? It just tells the story. This is what they did. They killed their own family member. How many of you have watched, maybe you're home sick from work and you go onto one of those channels that shows uh, investigations into the death of a spouse 
And almost every story is either the wife or the husband ended up killing them. And usually what was it about? It was either about another person that they were with or money. Well, this is been the story of mankind. We can watch it on primetime TV now. Saturday night, they play the special mystery at this place. What's happened? Someone else has killed their spouse. And for what? For another relationship that's probably going to end up at the same place that that one was at? Because, by the way, you're part of the problem if your relationship's not going well. I know it's hard to take but it takes two to tango. Jesus said, you'll know people by their fruits. These two men, their plan was, and this is going to get brutal, but they're going to take this guy's head to David. And they're going to say, David, look, look what we've brought you. This shows our allegiance. We're going to take care of the guy that's been vying for power. It says, now, when they came into the house, verse 7, as he was lying on his bed in his bedroom, they struck him and killed him and beheaded him. And they took his head. This is a gruesome detail, but this is what happened. And it, by the way, the same thing happened to Saul after he died on the battlefield. The Philistines did this to him. And they traveled by way of the Arabah all night. They struck him, beheaded him, took their grisly trophy and headed for Hebron, about 60 miles, with the head in hand. And they had a plan. You see, these two brothers could see the writing on the wall. They knew that David was gaining power in the south. They knew that Ishbosheth was in deep trouble. And when Abner died, they said, uh-oh, this is it. This is curtains for the household of Saul. Saul's household was already growing weaker. David's was growing stronger. The power behind Ishbosheth was now dead. David was being blessed by God. He was growing stronger. He was God's man. And these two men said, ah, here's an opportunity. Yeah, he's our family member and all, but if we take him out, this will please the king down in the south. And guess what? We'll probably get some nice positions in David's kingdom where girls will fan us with those fans and feed us grapes all day. And David will say, these are my two favorite guys. But they made a slight miscalculation. Almost like, and some of you are thinking of it, thinking of it right now, the Amalekite who came to David in chapter one of this book and said, hey, uh, Saul was dying on the battlefield and I finished him off. It was his request and uh, it was a bad career move. Do you remember? He ended up paying with his life. He didn't understand David's heart. This assassination that happens to Ishbosheth is going to change everything. And some of you may be saying, may be saying yeah, this, this does eliminate all threats to the throne in essence where is God in all of this? Well, God lets people exercise free will. He's going to use this for the elevation of David and the unity of the nation. But he didn't need these two guys' help. He didn't need them to speed it along. How many times did, Saul, uh, did David have a chance to kill Saul and David wouldn't touch him? If they knew anything about David... They would have known that to show up in this way and say they finished this guy off 
was not going to go well before this king. He was a different kind of king. He trusted God. He did not believe in manipulating things for his own gain. He knew if God made him a promise, God was going to keep it in his way and in his time. Do you? Do I? I'm a mover and shaker by nature. I, I like to make things happen. And God's constantly trying to get a hold of my coattail and say, slow down, Michael. I got this. I'm like, but Lord, if I, if I just did this over here, wouldn't this help you out? No, I'm okay without you, Michael. <laughs> How about you just get on board with my plan? And so they brought the head of Ishbosheth, verse 8, to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, Behold, look. <laughs> I don't know how they got in and all that, but the head of Ishbosheth, the, the son of Saul, your enemy who sought your life. Thus the Lord has given my Lord the king vengeance this day on Saul and his descendants. Look what we did for you, king. Sorry, but this is it. <laughs> you see? We're faithful men. This was your enemy. He is no mas. He's no more. Aren't we good? Aren't we grand? Well, as I mentioned, they are going to make a serious miscalculation. 2 Samuel 9.1 says, David asked the question, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Do you know David, even after all of this was going out of his way to show in Hebrew, has said to the family of Saul, the family that really, because Saul did this, was his arch enemy, he wanted to show them kindness. A soft answer turns away wrath. Sometimes we, you know, people expect us to fight and we show them kindness instead. And oftentimes it blows people's minds. They don't know what to make of it. You've heard of the old phrase, killing people with kindness. There's something to it. It's the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance. Sometimes we feel like God's going to throw the hammer down on us and he's gracious with us and he's patient and we're blown away by his loyal love. This Hebrew word all over the Bible used over 200 times is hased. It speaks of God's covenant love, his loving kindness, his steadfast love. In the Hebrew picture language, it means the door of mercy and protection and refuge and foundation. Sometimes we're, we're full of fear and trepidation and we don't know if we can even come to God. And he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I, I'll give you rest. I know who you are. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I know what you've muttered. I know what you've thought. I know the things that you would never admit publicly, but you know what? I love you anyway. Come through the door of mercy. Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals and you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.